0: Man, Good morning, Maple Grove. Good morning morning to those who are in this room and those who are watching online all over the Fruited Plain, right? Hey, let's give a loud shout out to Jesus right now. At home and in here, come on. Get off that couch, get out of that chair, and give him a shout. (laughs) All right. All right. Uh, I had coffee this morning. Um, Hey, I I want to start off with a, a passage of Scripture, and then I want to pray us into our conversation. This is in John chapter 16. Um, It's Thursday night uh, on the way to the garden just mere hours before his arrest. Jesus says to his guys, I've told you these things. I've told you about my death, about my leaving, about the Holy Spirit coming, about the world hating you, about the fact that one day I'm coming back to get you. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. That word trouble is a Greek word, ellipsis. It means a pressing, pressing together, pressure, affliction, oppression, tribulation, persecution. It's the same word used in Matthew 13 when Jesus said that the seed that goes on the rocky soil quickly fades away when persecution comes. It was used to describe the persecution in Acts 11 that followed after Stephen was stoned. In Acts 20, it described the hardships that Paul would face. And it's used in Revelation chapter 7 to describe those who had come out of the tribulation and who now stand before the throne of God along with people from every tongue, tribe, and language praising God. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have pressure. In this world, you will have affliction, hardship, and tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That word overcome is the Greek word, the ko. It means to overcome, to conquer, to, to carry off the victory. Same word used in Romans 12, 1, when we're told, do not be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil. Do not let evil carry you off. But overcome evil, carry off evil with with good. Same word used in Revelation 17, verse 14. In this verse here, they will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph. He will nakao over them because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world and Father, we just humbly come into your presence right now. You're God and we're not. You're infinite and we're not. We are sinful and you're not. You're all-knowing and we're not. We sometimes choose the wrong path. You never do. Our, our words aren't always true and correct and right, but yours always are. And Father, I pray that every heart will be open to your truth today Uh, Father I pray that we will listen to your truth and push aside any distractions any already set in our minds opinions and agendas and I pray that you would most definitely purify the heart and mind of the one standing up here speaking that what I say is only what you want me to say in Jesus name Amen I I want you to know that I I really struggled this week Uh, uh, with what I was supposed to share with you guys today, his people. And, and in fact, I'm still struggling. I mean, I, I broke like three of these today, right? Putting them on. Uh, I, my computer did all kinds of crazy things. I type in edits, they disappeared. And while worshiping, my wife walked up and said, hand me my car keys and said, hey, your car was running in the parking lot while you were in here. And so, yeah. And w- whenever something comes at me that crazy, it's, I know I'm supposed to share something. And I I, I was torn between unpacking, uh, unpacking the power, beauty, and depth of the three titles that we find for Jesus in John 14, verse 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I mean, I think that's very appropriate for the time that we're living in. Like, if you're uncertain of, of where to go or what path to take, Jesus is the way. If you're unsure what is right and what is wrong, Jesus is the truth. And if you're looking for meaning, fulfillment, and purpose— Jesus is the life. But yet at the same time, I had this other conversation tugging at me as well. And it was to unpack Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. And I kind of juggled with both of these all week long until sometime Thursday. And here's where I landed. Next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This morning, we're going to step out of that series, Name Above All Names, where we're getting to know Jesus better. And we're going to unpack Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called sons of God. Now, that word peacemaker is a compound Greek word. Uh, It's kind of funny. Uh, I may have a guy listening right now who got his graduate work in Greek. He's watching in Florida. If you're here, Tristan, props. Enjoyed talking to you yesterday. Looking forward to you moving here. And I told him on the phone, hey, I I mention Greek a lot, but I mispronounce it all the time. So... He's, if you're listening, Tristan, man, this is coming at you, right? So here's the Greek word, peacemaker, Irena a pollos, Irena a peace. The word peace means the end of rage, destruction of conflict and war, harmony between individuals to make complete and restore to a flourishing wholeness. The word make, Poyaho, means to cause, to produce, to render, to be the author of, to execute and to bring forth. You see this word peacemaker it's a it's a word bursting with energy it mandates action and initiative it describes someone who is willing to drag two combat- combatants to the table and give them a reason to put down their weapons and to live together in peace. And notice that Jesus He did not say, blessed are the peace-wishers, blessed are the peace-hopers, blessed are the peace-lovers, blessed are the peace-dreamers, the peace-talkers, and not even the peace-keepers, but blessed are the peacemakers, because peace must be made. Peace doesn't happen by chance. Peace must be fought for. Bottom line, a peacemaker is never passive. Instead, they're always active, taking the initiative, entering the fray, jumping into the arena. Peacemakers are up and they are doing, they're actively pursuing peace. Psalm 34, verse 14 reads this way. Turn from evil and do, do what? Do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with everyone in holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Uh, pursue peace without it. Uh, with, pursue peace with everyone without it, without... Without people seeing us living out peace in our lives, no one will see the Lord. If they don't see the Lord in us, they will not see the Lord. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. And understand, the peacemaker pursues more than just the absence of conflict. Uh, Peacemakers don't avoid conflict. In fact, sometimes they will even create conflict. Peacemakers aren't merely seeking to appease the warring parties or trying to accommodate everyone. You see, they're not interested in a fake, pseudo-Disney world, Mr. Rogers, won't you be my neighbor, peace, where conflict still rages underneath the surface and nothing really changes. And instead, peacemakers are pursuing the beauty, the power, and the blessedness of God's kind of peace, one that is Grounded in both truth and righteousness. And listen, listen. Without truth and righteousness, without truth and right behaviors and right actions, it will never be God's kind of peace. Get it? Hey, on the couch, you. Get it? Good. (laughs) Caught him. I caught you. Yeah, I do see. I do see. Yeah. You think you just see me? Well, I see you. I see you right now. I'm not well. Um, here, here's, here's, here's my definition of a peacemaker. A peacemaker is someone who is actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another and who breathes truth and righteousness into the conflict. Now, I know that when we look at our nation at this moment, uh, we see and we are bombarded 24-7 with countless images of conflict, of anger, of violence, and division. And I'm sure that if you're like me, that it is wearing you out, it is making heavy your heart, and it's moving you to want to cry out, enough, enough, enough. But understand tragically that hatred and Conflict and violence and division—they're not new. In fact, a study was done many years ago that says, for the uh, the the 3,000 plus years of recorded history, the world has only experienced 8% of that time at peace. It said that 8,000 treaties were made and 8,000 treaties were broken. Yes, conflict, hatred, and violence and division been around a long time. In fact, they've been around. Ever since Genesis chapter 4, when Cain, because of his anger and jealousy over his brother Abel, murdered him, and ever since that time, there's been anger and conflict and division in our families, in our communities, in our nation, in our world, and in our relationships. And listen, it's, it's into this conflict-infested, hate-filled, rage-unleashed, divided world that Jesus sends us out as his peacemakers, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And believe me when I tell you, being a peacemaker is most definitely a path that will lead us to give up our own way, take up our cross, follow Jesus, and die daily to ourselves. Now, now the way I, I, I want to attack this conversation is just, I want to unpack two statements. The first is like father, like son, and the second is the peace we must make. But before we do that, I, I feel that we need to pray again as we come into this conversation. And I would encourage you at home and in this room, and I'm not telling you what to do, I'm not a dictator up here, you know, but it's just symbolic that when you open your palms, you're saying, God, you know what, it's your truth that matters, not my opinions, not My truth, not it's your truth, not worldly wisdom, not what I already think that matters. It's your truth, and you're just saying, Hey, I'm open to your truth. May not want to hear it, may be hard to hear it, uh, but I want to hear it. Heavenly Father, we need you right now. God, you called your people to be peacemakers, and Lord, you know the state of our nation right now. Uh, You weep over it, over the pain, the injustice, the hurt. The lives lost, the lives damaged. Lord, I I just pray that uh, what we're doing here makes a difference. And God, I pray you open my heart. Even though I have spent time on this message, I know I need to hear it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just move in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Like father, like son, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. And I think it's important for us to understand, you know, when the child becomes a son. You see that that word, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Uh, that word call means to, to uh, officially designate someone to a particular rank or office, like when someone is named chairman of the company, captain of the team, spokesman for an organization. And when Jesus says that, those who are peacemakers, Jesus says that those who are peacemakers, that those who are actively working to reconcile people to God and to one another and to breathe truth and righteousness in the conflict, he says they will be known, they'll be recognized by who they really are, a son of God. Now, we might think that there's no difference between being a child of God and, 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 a, and being a son of God. There, such is not the case. You, you see, a, a child of God, It's one who is part of the family. It's a statement of position. You're in that family. A son of God, on the other hand, is one who is like the family. It's more than a statement of position. I'm in that family. It's a statement of character that I'm like that family. Are you tracking with me? You you see, a, a son of God is not only one who carries the family name, but bears the family resemblance, bears the family's the family's reputation. You see, in the New Testament times, in the first century, to be a son meant to have the, the same mind, to have the same values, to have the same beliefs, to have the same spirit of your father. In fact, in that culture, that If a father had a son that was basically a bum and that opposed everything the father believed in, many times that son would be disowned and disinherited. While on the other hand, if there was a slave that he had, a slave who had the same values and belief as that father did, that slave would be adopted and counted as a son and would then therefore become an heir because he was a true son of that father. So what Jesus is teaching when he says that peacemakers will be called the son of God is that they look like God, that they share the values, the beliefs, the missions, the purposes of God, that they they have the same mind and the same spirit of God. In other words, when people look at them, when they see how they live, when they see how they fight for God's kind of peace, they're like, hey, you must be a son of God because you look just like him question. Do people in your life recognize your resemblance to the Father based on your effort at peacemaking? I understand you're a child of God because you have surrendered your life to Jesus. But you are a son of God. When like the Father, you pursue peace. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Pursue peace with Everyone, without it, no one will see the Lord. So the question that we need to be asking ourselves, right? This is you and Holy Spirit time. Are we actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another? Are we helping to bring lost people to his grace? Are we helping to bring two people who are fighting back together again? Are we working to restore unity within a family are making amends between a brother and a sister, and are we recognized as assisting God in his peacemaking activity in this conflict-infested, hate-filled, rage-unleashed, divided world? I mean, like, when someone walk up to you and say, hey, you can put your like, hey, I've been watching you. And listen, the way you live, the way you act, the way you talk, the way you speak, the things you do, The kind of peace you pursue, you look just like the Father. I I know who you are. You must be a son of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the restoration bringers. Blessed are the conflict enders. Blessed are the anger subsiders. Blessed are the violence quencers. Blessed are the hatred overcomers. Blessed are the the division unifiers. For they shall be called sons of God. And listen, I contend maybe more than any time in my very short lifetime of 32 years, (laughs) plus 28, um, that this nation has never needed God's peacemakers more than it does right now. I make this post on Facebook, 903 Thursday morning. By the way, I'm taking a 72-hour fast from Facebook and most media because yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. And and, and my final post was this. I took a picture of me holding my Bible and I just said this. Don't be so quick. And, are y'all listening? Everybody listening? Of course the whole world would just listen. Don't be so quick to believe everything you read unless it's in this book. I was holding the Bible. Alright? Okay, we gotta stop just believing stuff because it it supports what we already believe. Oh, it said that about him. It's got to be true because I hate him. Right? If you're going to be quick to believe something, believe what's in Scripture. Amen? Now, here's my post. Uh, John, First John 2, 5, and 6. The, this is how we know that we're in him. We got bumper stickers. All right, you got a tattoo. Listen to Christian music. No, he says, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. You, you see, we cannot walk with Jesus and continue to walk in hatred, violence, darkness, injustice, sin, and in uncontrolled anger. Question, would Jesus walk with those who are treated unjustly? Yes, without a doubt. He did it all the time. He did it for the woman caught in adultery in John 8. He did it for the woman who was leaning against the well in John 4. And he often ate with sinners. And would Jesus walk with those in power and authority who abuse and misuse it? Not a chance. In the Gospels, we see Jesus calling out those who abuse their authorities. And throughout the Old Testament, we see God calling out injustice all the time. In fact, he says these great words in Amos chapter 5, verse 24. Just, let justice roll on like a river, and righteousness like a never-ending stream. Amos five twenty-four. And would Jesus walk with those who violently riot, burning buildings, attacking police, and hurting other people? No. I mean, seriously, do we even need to ask? Bottom line, if we claim Jesus, we must walk with and walk like him when we pursue peace. Understand, there was much injustice in the world that Jesus lived in. Being occupied by the Roman army and being being ruled by a corrupt religious leadership, was not a party, to say the least. How did Jesus respond? Listen, those who claim to know Jesus must come against injustice in the very ways that Jesus did. By bringing the compassion, the care, the love, and reconciliation of God with people who need it. Hear me. We cannot allow ourselves to be conformed to the pattern of this world when it comes to coming against injustice. Remember, what people really need is Jesus, I continued in that post, and the living, enduring hope that is found in him alone. Yes, there's much in our nation that needs to be changed, and Jesus is the ultimate changemaker. So let us who claim to know him humble ourselves and bend the knee before him, asking him who he would have us be and what he would have us do, to be the light, this dark, hurting, broken world so desperately needs. And let us resist the temptation to take a stand with the left or with the right and instead always take our stand with Jesus and his word. And I conclude that post praying for myself, his church, his people, and our nation. End post. (laughs) Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called sons of God. Because the Father is all about peacemaking, right? I mean, ever since Genesis chapter 3, when, they, when Adam and Eve bit that fruit, the entire story, right? The entire story uh, was about God making peace with his people. From Genesis until Luke 2, when the angels filled the skies and proclaimed glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favors rest. The story is about God preparing his people for the coming of the Prince of Peace, the ultimate peacemaker. And listen, when God the Son, when God the Son jumped into the middle of this hate-filled, conflict-infested world and made peace happen, it did not come easy and it did not come cleanly. You see, to make peace, Jesus himself had to suffer. Himself had to suffer. Many terrible things, rejections, arrests, betrayal, beatings and the cross. As he breathed love, truth, peace, and righteousness into the conflict. And there are many verses I could read about him. About our prince making peace. I'll just read one. There's a whole sermon on May 10th. You can check that out. This is good stuff. Um, Colossians chapter 1. God's word is true. Uh, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Uh, Blessed are those who don't simply want to be known as a child of God, as awesome as it is, but want to be known as a son of God because of where they talk, live, behave, and pursue peace. Now I want to pack the little second, little point in our notes. If you have notes, if you don't have notes, there are notes. There's always notes. Blessed are the peacemakers because they'll be called sons of God. And so we're going to dive a little deeper into this concept of peacemaking so we can know what it is we're supposed to do in order to be called sons of God. But I first briefly need to talk about like what peacemaking isn't because there's some misconceptions out there. Peacemaking is not avoidance of conflict. Listen, never are we instructed to run from conflict and understand putting our head in the sand, hoping that conflict will magically disappear only delays, only delays inevitable. You see, conflict like a cancer, if left unchecked, it grows, it spreads, it metastasizes. Next, peacemaking is not about appeasement. I Understand the peace at any price mentality is far from biblical peace, which is grounded, again, in truth and righteousness and truth and right living and right behaviors. Peacemaking is not accommodation. You see, the person who glosses over the problems acting as if everything is all right when it's not is not a peacemaker. Bottom line, to appease, to avoid, to accommodate does not make us a peacemaker, but rather maybe a peacekeeper. And there's a big difference between the two. You see, peacekeepers want peace at any cost. Therefore, they often choose peace, their version of it, peace over truth, peace over doing what is right, peace over healthy and authentic relationships, peace over having tough and difficult conversations, peace over calling out, in a Jesus-like matter, things that are wrong and things that are sinful. Peacekeepers like to sweep everything under the carpet. And in doing so, again, they settle for a counterfeit pseudo-Disney World Mr. Rogers piece that's based on avoiding what is real and what is true. Understand, church, the peace of the Bible never evades issues. It knows nothing at peace at any price, nor does it rationalize and excuse, justify, accommodate, wrong behaviors, and falsehoods. Instead, it confronts problems and it seeks to solve them. And after it solves the problems, it builds bridges between the people who had once been separated. That's what Jesus did for us, right? He he secured our peace and then he did what? He secured our peace and then he built a bridge. See, peacemakers, in many ways, they are... Bridge builders. Listen, I, I, I think I, I think the I, I think the more bridges we build between people, the less conflict there will be, and I think that's especially effective if we actually build those bridges before the conflict actually starts. I mean, many of you probably seen this video of this sheriff chief out in Michigan who who knows this community and they know him and and and. and And he was supporting them, and the injustice that sometimes happens, which is writing good, and it was so cool. He's talking to them. He says, "Hey, watch out for that officer there. You know how much he always likes to hug you." And they just started chanting, "Walk with us, walk with us, walk with us." Why did that happen? Because this officer here getting that selfie there. You know that, that he he built the bridge. He built the bridge before the conflict started. You know, you know where is God wanting you? Where is God wanting us to build bridges right now? Don't wait for the war to build a bridge. See, I believe the reason there's so much conflict in our homes and our lives and our world and churches is because we try to be peacekeepers rather than peacemakers. So we appease, we avoid, we accommodate, rather than deal with truth and what's right. But listen, that's most definitely not the way of Jesus, the ultimate model of a peacemaker. Here's what he said in Matthew. You know, I think I've come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Now, I think he's talking about the sword of the Spirit, right? You know, a sword of truth that cuts, that divides, that causes people to make a decision. He continues, for I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Do I think I've come to bring peace to the earth? I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. In his commentary, Life on Christ, Mark Moore says this, What a paradox! The prince of peace, who is gentle and humble, who will not even cry out on his own behalf, will cause great division. He continues, You see, Jesus' driving passion is for peace, but not at the price of truth and discipleship. You see, the peace that Jesus wants and brought... Reminds us that there will be opposition before there is harmony. There, there will be conflict before there is peace. Why? Because the peace of Christ must always be seen in terms of truth and righteousness to which the world is in fierce opposition. Are you tracking with me? See, when a, when a believer brings truth to a world that loves conflict, there'll be opposition. If that loves falsehood, there'll be Opposition. When, believers brings right, when a believer brings righteousness to a world that loves their sin and ungodly behavior, there will be opposition. And, and when a believer brings a word to a, another Jesus follower who has stepped away from Jesus, there will often be pushback. Paul got it. That's why he said in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? But listen, until righteousness the wrong way is changed for righteousness the right way until falsehood and lies are exchanged for truth we will never walk in the peace that God desires and that he's all about get it good and, and, and there's basically four areas where God wants us to make peace first we must experience peace with God ourselves right that's a starting point right before you be called a son of God you have to be a child of God and to make in peace with God, who sets the terms, us or God? God, right? Like yes, Grant, right? U.S., it was like the unconditional surrender grant, right? You know, when we surrender to God, we surrender unconditionally. And so what are the terms of our surrender? Well, they're in the Word. You know, believe. You've got to believe in who God is, what Jesus did. Believe that you're a sinner. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We confess if you confess with your heart that you believe and you've kissed your heart, if you my goodness, for if for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And you repent and are baptized. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's not which of those you like, it's all inclusive, right? And there's There's always that, there's always, there's one part of the terms that people are are often slow to respond to. Paul had a slow time surrendering to this part of the terms until a friend one day said to him in Acts 22 16, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away. Next peacemakers, make peace with others. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And one of the best ways to live at peace with everyone is to not start conflicts and wars in the first place. By our actions, our words, our tones, our posts, our comments, our self-righteousness. Or by being prideful, critical, harsh, judgmental, defensive, hateful, mean-spirited. And instead adopt the Ephesians 4 philosophy. It's not just a philosophy, it's actually a command from God um, whose word is our authority, right? I always encourage you to Base your life not on the wisdom of the world, current or past, which God says is foolishness, but base your life on the wisdom of God. He says, The prison Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Question Do you think that being humble and gentle and patient and bearing and putting up with one another in love? Would help us live more in peace. Would minimize strife and conflict. Absolutely, right? See, although the truth could offend people, our attitude shouldn't, right? And sometimes I get that backwards. Sometimes my attitude is more offensive and then they don't hear what? They don't hear the truth. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Next, peacemakers help others make peace with others. And unfortunately, so many times people, and by the way, I'm people, and I'm messed up, and I'm screwed up, and understand, and in this message, I'm talking to me as much as I'm talking to you, all right? But so many times people do the exact opposite. And instead of helping make peace, we stir the pot. We, we, We inflame and escalate the hurt. We add gasoline to the fire. You deserve better than that. I tell you what, if he was my boss, you're mad? You should be outraged. But to do that is not only wrong, it's sin. Because we're called to be peacemakers, not troublemakers or conflict stir uppers right? I looked it up, that's a word, stir uppers that's when you stir things up. <laughs> a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes many transgressions. Peacemakers help others make peace with others. Just one example. Stick with me. And when Paul wrote these letters, they're read in church. So imagine, this being, imagine if you're one of these women. Wow, Paul wrote a letter. Awesome. Let's hear it. <laughs> now I appeal to you, die and sin Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. <laughs> and I ask you, my true partners, to help these two women. He's like, don't just sit there. Don't just watch people hating on each other and not loving each other and just watch. For they work hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Peacemakers help others make peace with others. And yet, it can be messy. It can be ugly. And a lot of times, they're not going to want your help. And that's why you need to remember Ephesians 4, right? And approach it, you know, humility and gentleness and truth and grace and bearing with one another and love. It's difficult. But I tell you, there's no better feeling, if you've ever been a part of it, than two people who were at odds and somehow you helped them come back together again. You know, it's pretty sweet, isn't it? It's a sweet and beautiful thing to see. And finally, but certainly not last, peacemakers lead others to peace with God. Two ways. You know, if a believer stepped away from God, we help them come back. And that can be, that's, the, that's hard, right? <laughs> you got to be a believer, all right, what you're done right now is wrong. Who are you? That's why make sure you always if you're using God's word as a plumb line, you're not judging anybody, right? It's God's word, right? I mean, if I wrote God's word, man, there's a lot of things I would take off the list, mainly my sins, right? Yeah, that's okay. Not, that's all right. You got a reason for that. They were an idiot to you. Right? If they're an idiot to you, you get to smack them. That's cool. But I didn't write it, so I don't get to do that, right? And, and, and neither to you. But this little concept, well, you can't judge anybody. That's, that's garbage because you're not. You're in love holding out God's word because you love them. Amen. And also, those who have never experienced peace with God for salvation, right? You know That's what God has called us to, right? To help lost people find salvation. You know, if the Bible's true, then heaven is real. And it's terrifying to think that anybody we know, even our enemies, right, would actually wind up there, right? And so we're like, hey, how do I lead someone to Jesus? Jesus said in Luke 10, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Sad for God. Sad for the lost, Sad for us. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. And we talk about pray for one more than we probably pray for one, right? You know, every day, God, give me one person to share your love with today. Because here's here's what I think. I actually wrote in a file folder. I think I left it at home. Let me step and look at my book bag for a second. Those of you watching at home, you can't see me, and it's not there. Of course, it's not there because it's been a crazy week. But I added a slide on the file folder, but it's not here. And here's what I think. Here's what I think. I could be wrong. I may be wrong, but I may be right. (laughs) Is it a lunatic I'm looking for? No, okay, wrong song. Okay. Here's what I think. The greater the number... Of disciples there are in this world, the more of God's peace there will be in this world. What do you think? You think that is that possibly true, that equation? That the greater number of disciples, the more people that come to Jesus, the more people that surrendered him in his word, the more the world will be at peace, right? That's it. And if all the millions of Christians around the world decided, let's maybe the way we can help bring peace is to make people have peace with God, and we can spread that around. Blessed are the peacemakers. See if I got my notes. This is where I'm supposed to hold the folder up. It says right here, folder. Get in here. Okay. Blessed are peacemakers because they are we called sons of God. Blessed are those who make peace with God. Make peace with others. Do you need to do that? Help others make peace with others. Wow. What is God asking us to do? We need to be praying about that. And lead others to make peace with God. For they'll be called sons of God. I want to conclude with a, a story. It's about a monk in the 4th century named Telemachus. Telemachus. And one day in his prayers, God, he felt God call him to leave North Africa and go to Rome. And he packed his bags and headed off to Rome as he entered the city. Huge crowds were excited. He got caught up in the excitement, and he joins the crowd. He didn't know where they were going, but he's thinking, hey, they seem pretty excited. Something great must be going on. I don't want to miss out. So he joins the crowd. He's getting excited. Next thing he knows, he finds himself sitting Deep in the seats of the Roman Colosseum, and he asked somebody near him, "What is going on?" And he, the person let him know that, "Hey, Rome had just won a great victory against the Goths and the Goths, and now God, now the emperor has declared a circus in honor of their great victory." And he took his seat. He couldn't miss the emperor sitting up there, nor could he miss it when the gladiators came in and, and took their stand before the emperor, and they said that thing that they said before every battle. We who are about to die salute you. And that instant he knew what he had stumbled on and he'd heard about it before from other bishops and all but they all thought it was a legend. but now he actually realized that at that moment it's a real thing. And soon the gladiators, they pulled their weapons and the bloody brawl began just a few hundred yards from him. And the grotesque nature of the sport appalled him and worse yet was the reaction of those in the stands The spectators were in a bloodthirsty ecstasy over what was happening. He was sickened by it. He was shocked. In the instance, he realized it must stop. And so from his seat, he yelled out, in the name of Jesus, stop. In the name of Jesus, stop. But no one could hear him. And before he knew it, he actually found himself jumping into the arena with the gladiators and First they see this guest and don't know what to make of it. And he's shouting, in the name of Jesus, stop. One of the gladiators takes a swipe out with the sword and he dodges it. People watch him think he's some clown thrown in for comic relief. But soon the gladiators chase him and he runs and he dodges and they swing and he dodges and he swings. And he keeps shouting louder and louder, in the name of Jesus, stop. In the name of Jesus, stop. Eventually the gladiators charged at him and dust stirred up. And when they pulled away, there lay Telemachus with a sword in the center of his chest. There was silence in the crowd and it said that his words echoed in the Colosseum. In the name of Jesus, stop. In the name of Jesus, Stop. After what seemed like an eternity, one man got up to leave, and then another got up and left, until finally the entire Colosseum was empty. And the emperor and his guests, seeing everyone left, he got up and left too. And eventually all the gladiators, they dropped their swords, and they walked out and left as well. And all that remained in the Colosseum was was the lifeless body of the monk. And history claims that this was the very last gladiator game at the colosseum the memory of that man screaming to the crowd and the image of the bloodthirsty lust of the crowd had changed the hearts and minds of the romans in an instant within an hour the emperor declared an edict edict forbidding any future games of war within the empire there was no more killing in the colosseum there were no more gladiator matches in rome there's no more killing a sport, all because one man stood up and said, "In the name of Jesus, stop. Stop." When we see injustice, we see violence and anger and hatred and division. Well we like Clemachus. Have the courage. Well, I like Telemachus. have the courage to jump into the arena and say, maybe it's two friends, maybe it's your mom and dad, maybe it's this crazy world right now. In the name of Jesus, stop. Stop. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Father. We need you. Our world has always needed you. It seems like now you're needed more than ever, that your truth is needed more than ever. And God, help us to know what you would have us do. Help us to get our direction from you and you alone. Help us not to join any bandwagon at all. Help us not to be led by any truth other than your truth. God, give us courage. God, bring your peace to our nation. Bring justice where there's injustice. Bring love where there's hatred and anger. Bring unity where there's division. Bring restoration where there's destruction. And God, the task can seem so, so large. And it is. But the good news is that you, O Lord, are bigger than we thought you were. In Jesus' name.